1: to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. It's
2: my pleasure to welcome back to the show with this very important topic of identity theft investigations, Carrie Kersky. Hi, Carrie. Hi Francie, how are you? Great. Thank you for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, today our topic is investigating identity theft and having spent a couple of years with my husband and my sister-in-law resolving my father-in-law's identity theft, I have a very personal understanding of how just how devastating it can be. No one is safe, right, Carrie?
0: Yeah, no one is immune from it. Uh, identity theft doesn't discriminate. Um, it goes after you know, the, the extremely wealthy, you know, the, the opposite extreme. I mean, n- no one is immune. Children, adults, anyone right. can be a victim of identity theft.
2: Uh, and it could involve medical services or your credit or your tax refunds or, your, or even crimes committed in your name.
0: Exactly, you are correct. Uh, most people, when they think of identity theft, they only think about their credit cards. But I tell people, don't worry about your credit cards. You're protected by federal law as long as you report it to the credit card company within sixty days of receiving your statement. Is that with other types of is? identity theft where a social security number is used? Those have the potential to do a lot more damage, be much more invasive, and in the case of medical, can have life-threatening consequences.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's come back to that. But first of all, Carrie, how did you become a private investigator? And more importantly, how did you become so passionate about identity theft?
0: Well, when people ask me what made me become a private investigator, I tell them it's because I've always been nosy. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it it, was—I kind of fell into it. Um, I used to be a financial advisor with one of the large brokerage firms, and. You know, my first child was born, so I took a leave of absence and started teaching adult education at night because I wanted to still contribute and and do something. I mean, I enjoyed being with my son all day long, but you can only handle so much Barney, so I needed to have my break (laughs) at night. And uh, I met um, a gentleman who ended up becoming my mentor, and he had a private investigation agency, and he had a case where he needed somebody with my um, experience and knowledge in investments and, and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and also cu- computers. So he asked me to help him on the case and then that was it. I got bit by an investigation bug and the rest they say is history.
2: It is a bit addictive, isn't it?
0: It is, it is, definitely, definitely. You know, and you always have those cases where during the, the time frames or within the budget, you know, you might not be able to get all the answers, but yet we just still we can't let go. So right. <laughs> it is addictive.
2: Yes, and even when something comes back on that same case later, you have to delve into it, and find out what's going on. Definitely, definitely. So, what about the identity theft? How did you know? You're so passionate about this, and you really have. I, I'm I'm just amazed, Carrie, because we haven't talked for a couple of years, but what you've done in that couple of years is just astounding. Well,
0: it's. How I got started is I started getting calls from victims uh, back about 2006, 2007, and I kept seeing the same patterns and habits that were causing them to become victims. So I thought, well, I need to educate the community because I didn't know about this, so I'm sure other people don't. And the first organization that I called here in my community to offer to do a, a free presentation, I wasn't selling anything, wasn't even, I, you know, I didn't have to say the company name, I was just trying to educate the community. Mm-hmm. And the woman said to me, well, that doesn't happen in Naples, so why do we care? So I knew I had my work cut out for me, Um, and then I myself became a victim a couple of times. But what really made me dive into this and basically becomes my life's work here is I was a patient at a local hospital the same time somebody in one of their other branches or locations was downloading patient information and selling it to other people. Mm. That really opened my eyes to the fact that there is nothing you can do to stop it from happening. There is no way I could have prevented that employee from from accessing my information and selling it
2: right, right and that's and that's so scary, isn't it, Carrie? Because I mean, if somebody is using your medical identification, your records could be changed, you could be diagnosed incorrectly uh, mm-hmm. I think one of the things you mentioned is your blood type could be changed. So if you got a blood transfusion, it could be incorrect.
0: Yes, with all the electronic medical records now, you know, everything's being uploaded to a cloud, so to speak. I just love that term the cloud. The cloud. Um, <laughs> so all the information's being shared. And when you go to your doctor, it's not just your doctor who has that information. If you have lab tests on, if you have you know, x-rays, or if maybe they need to consult or get a second opinion or refer out, your record's being housed in all of those databases. And when you become a victim of identity theft, maybe you can find it in a record with your personal physician but that doesn't mean that once you've corrected it with your physician that it's going to trickle down and be corrected everywhere else. So it has the the potential of never being able to be fully corrected. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, some statistics, when when they do research on identity theft, particularly medical identity theft, they say the average victim spends $20,000 out of pocket for services they never received just so they can continue to go to their doctor and keep their benefits.
2: Amazing, amazing. Well, so that's how you—that's how you got into it. So let's go back to you a little bit, because I—I want people to know that you do a lot of speaking and consulting on this topic, and uh, I, you, you're a contributing expert for uh, two or three magazines, and um, you've had a lot of. Had a lot of uh, contact with the news media, NBC News, and those kind of things. So, if people are interested in having Carrie speak, uh, Carrie, you want to give your website? Sure, just go to com. Okay, and it's K E R S K I E? Yes. C A R R I E? Yep, the old fashioned way. The old fashioned way. Okay. Now, now I know you're president of your own company, the Kursky Group Incorporated. And you founded an Association of Certified Identity Theft Investigators. What's that all about?
0: Yeah, that was uh, as a request from investigators. As I would speak at conferences, people would come up and say, how can we learn to do what you do? Um, You know, is there a certification? Is there a program, a training program we can take? And I started looking at the market, and there really wasn't. Um, A couple of programs that were out there, they were very basic, very generic, not really geared for investigators. Uh, So I created the program, um, the Certified Identity Theft Investigator, and then it turned into the Association of Certified Identity Theft Investigators. Um, Actually, this year, just announced um, in January, my program that used to be the certification program is now offered through PI Education for continuing education credits. Oh, great. Um, That's Yeah, so I, I entered into a licensing agreement with them, um, where people can, can basically take the same thing. They will not get the certification, obviously, um, but they can use it uh, to, to further their skills and, and mm-hmm. use it for continuing education.
2: That is just fabulous. That's, that's very good news. And then uh, how did you become uh, appointed to your uh, county identity Tef- task force?
0: Yeah, um, i worked a lot with the sheriff here locally for years. Um, You know, we kept trying to figure out how we can work together, you know, public-private initiative. And the sheriff's department was doing their own thing with the the speaking engagements and and the education for the community. I was doing my thing. There were some nonprofits doing their own thing. And we were finding that while we were both out there spreading the correct information, there were a lot of people out there spreading incorrect information. Uh, So the uh public was was getting mixed signals. So we decided to come together as a cohesive organization. And basically, it's a consortium of organizations, numerous nonprofits um, within the area. Um, We also are working with the IRS in the state of Florida, the Florida Attorney General's Office. Um, AARP is one of our sponsors and a bunch of other organizations. And we decided to prom- um, to have forums for the community where people could come, ask questions, you know, we'd give them tips and education on identity theft. And the very first one, the room we had would only hold 120 people. And mm-hmm. I kept telling the task force, this is not going to be big enough. We need a bigger venue. And they were all thinking, well, if we get 20 people, we'll be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> we had 300 people show up oh, for goodness. the very first one. Um, And that's pretty much been the case for the past 12 months that we've been doing this. We have had record turnout, standing room only, um, and it just, you know, furthers the need for the education because with identity theft, you can't buy a service or buy a program or pay somebody to protect you from it happening. Right, not really. It's, it's all about education. You need to know what you're up against so you know yeah. the red flags, you know the warning signs, you know your rights, and then you yeah. know what you need to do it, once it happens. That's terrific. And how often do you hold this? Um, we have one coming up in February, and then uh, that's the final one for the task force, um, the task force might be morphing into a, a different organization, but unfortunately it's still too early, so I can't make any, any uh, definite announcements on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the interest that we've gotten statewide and nationwide, where we're looking to, to um, expand the task force.
2: Well, that sounds just terrific. Now, uh, you, were, you were honored with a, uh, being a recipient from your congressman.
0: Yes, I was very, very surprised um, when I got the phone call, Congressman Mario diaz Um, It was March of last year during uh, Women in History Month, and uh, while he was up there, he uh, he honored me with a congressional record, and I, I had I had no idea. So I was very, very surprised uh, when I received that.
2: How cool is that?
0: And it, it, then, was cool. it was very cool. It's very cool to think that, you know, now my name is part of our, our history and, you know, who would have thought little old me here in Naples, Florida. So, <laughs> that's
2: just terrific. And then 2010, you were Woman of the Year?
0: Yes. Yep, that was uh through the American Business Women's Association for the Neapolitan chapter. And then
2: uh what is the Top 40 under 40? Is that that's- top yeah, and that's in uh,
0: Southwest Florida in uh-huh. Lee and Collier counties, which is Naples and Fort Myers. Uh, there's a publication called Gulf Shore Business, and basically, it is the go-to business publication for Southwest Florida. And every year, they come up with the top forty. Um, they call it the brightest and the best of the um, people under under the age of forty that are in mm-hmm. the community. Um, and in 2009, because obviously I wouldn't qualify anymore, no longer being under 40. <laughs> um, but in 2009, um, I was chosen as one of the top 40 under 40. Again, I was very surprised to receive that. I thought they had the wrong number when they first called.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. And then, of course, you were you were recognized by your peers, which is a very cool thing uh, when you're recognized by your own private investigators association and you got the Harvey R. Morris Founders Award. Um by your association in Florida, Florida Association of Private Investigators.
0: Yeah, that one that one is very special. Um, only because, you know, Harvey is, is a mentor. I mean he he's just absolutely amazing with everything he does and, and you know, he's he's an icon in our industry. And the FAPI, the Florida Association of Private Investigators, it's just, it really, you know, we always say that it's it's more than an association, it, it, it's like a family, mm-hmm. but it really, really is. And so to be honored by that group, not only my peers, but my PI family, it was, it's very special.
2: That is very special. And so, uh, so, uh, Carrie, you've just become this icon of of identity theft, uh Go-to person. So let's talk about this. Um, you say that uh, identity theft. You've kind of broken broken it down into six basic areas.
0: Yeah, the, there are six areas. Now, granted, a lot of that is starting to morph now, just because of technology and and, and where things are headed. Um, But typically it's broken down. You have the financial that most people think of, that's bank accounts, credit cards, loans, anything involving credit. Um, Then you also have utilities, where that one, you know, it's not as much as it used to be, but it's still out there where people will apply for utilities using your identity. Because in order to get cable, phone, water, electric, any utilities, they have to run a credit check. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's... Very easy for somebody to use your identity, and when they stop paying the bills, it goes on your credit. Um, Then you have the medical, which we've already briefly talked about, government benefits and government documents. That's one of the largest forms of identity theft. Um, I have seen a huge increase in that one um, in 2014, especially involving uh, Social Security fraud, Mm -hmm. uh, where people will either change the depositing account for Social Security benefits uh-huh. or they will apply for benefits using someone else's identity. So if someone is 65 and they want to wait a couple of years, unfortunately the identity thief beats them to it and files at 65. Um, and the, the unusual thing from that, from 2014, is that all the cases that I had, every single one I traced back to the My SSA program, which is a program that Social Security launched um, the early part of last year, uh-huh. where you could manage and view your benefits online. But they didn't do a good job of telling the general public, so the the identity thieves are using it to hijack accounts. It's very simple for them to do. Um so that's one of the big things I've been doing when we do these forums in public speaking is to tell everybody go sign up for your SSA account, go to the SSA.gov website, and you gotta, you know, basically st- stake your claim. You-, you gotta mark your territory because if not an identity thief is gonna come in and do it on your behalf. Um, another one that we've seen an increase in Florida, I believe, uh, last I heard, there were 5,000 fraudulent unemployment um, filings or unemployment claims filed within Florida. Um, really? I had at least five clients. One of them, he'd been retired for 10 years, and he got a letter from the state uh, regarding his unemployment benefits.
2: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, so the government very documents <laughs> and benefits, that's a big one. Fraudsters um, are very creative. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said fraudsters are very creative. Yes, yes, they are. They are getting more and more sophisticated. You mm-hmm. know, everybody keeps saying, "When's it going to end? When are we going to come up with something that's going to block them?" Never, because the minute we come up with some technique or some encryption or something that's going to protect us, they've already figured out a way to overcome it. So, it's it's an uphill battle. Um, the other type of identity theft is um, business identity theft and this is one a lot of people are not aware of, but it Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge industry. Um, That is when someone will use your business credentials, such as a tax ID number, your logos, any of your intellectual property, your reputation to commit fraud. Right. And in most states across the country, it is not a crime by law. Now, California was one of the first ones in the country to make business identity theft a a law, Uh, or against the law um, in Florida, we have a pending bill. I've been working with one of our representatives here, and um, there's a bill that was filed, and now it's going through committee reviews, which will make business identity theft a crime in Florida.
2: Okay, um, let's let's talk about that bill. Uh, we need to take a quick break, Carrie. So let's talk about the bill. When we come back, we'll be right back. Okay, in just a second.
0: Kirsty is a
2: private investigator, but she's made it her business to become an expert in identity theft. Carrie, you were just talking about uh, that it's not against the law in most states to steal a business identity. I find that amazing.
0: Yeah, what what happened is when most of the identity theft laws, whether it's national um, or federal or state, when they were written, they were written for individuals, because back then, no one ever heard of business identity theft, so that, therefore, business entities were exempt from any of the um, rights or protection from identity theft, Uh Um, and in Florida, it was just, again, it was a technicality. They used the term individual, which specifically exempted businesses from being included in the identity theft laws. Uh, so with this bill, we've changed it to from individual to person, which is a broader definition, which does include business entities. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that's great because th- that's certainly very serious. Uh, I mean, it's certainly serious to have somebody's personal identity uh, Diverted but a business identity there could be a lot of resources that are at risk. Um, so you don't have the bill number on that yet
0: No, I don't have the bill number yet. Um, I just got a call from the, the state rep um, last night as a matter of fact she's getting back going back to Tallahassee and it was just filed so she didn't have the number with her. but as soon as I get that, um, you know I'd be happy to pass it along to you or if anyone's interested, especially you know people in the state of Florida to try and get this passed, um, you know, go to my website. You can sign up for my newsletter, and as soon as we get this bill number, I'll be I'll post it out there. And then, you know, just as many of you that can reach out to your state reps and tell them that that you want this, um, it'll definitely increase the chances of this getting passed.
2: And if you forget the website, just uh, put Carrie Kursky on Google, and you'll be able to find it. Definitely um, yes. Carrie, go. Let's go back to the thing that you were saying about the government uh, benefits. So. You can go on to ssa.gov, and there's a a tab that says My Social Security or something like that. How how is it worded?
0: Yeah. When you go to the Social Security's website, and and they keep moving the box around, but last time I saw it was on the left-hand side about midway, and it just said My Social Security. So when you clicked on that box, it would take you to a screen that would... Um, give you the option and and give you instructions of how to sign up for your account. Um, Now, people have come up to me and said, well, I already have an account with the Social Security because I'm already getting benefits. No, this is completely different. This is a brand-new program that was launched last year. So if you have not gone through these steps, you have not set up your account. Um, But you just enter your sensitive information. It is a secure site as, as well as it can be secured. Right, right. Um, and then they'll ask you ID verification questions based on your Experian credit report. You'll create a username and password, and then you can manage your benefits. You can look at your um, income, uh, rep- reported income history, or mm-hmm. if you're over 65 and receiving benefits, you can, you know, see what you've received and also manage your depositing account. Um, you can also apply for benefits right online. If you don't want to have online access then you need to opt out of electronic access. You can do that right on their website as well. Um, but you have to either create an account or opt out from electronic access. Those are the only two ways to prevent somebody from doing it on your behalf.
2: That is such a good tip, and I, ha- I had not heard of this at all. So I thank you so much for giving that, uh, providing that. So well, sure. Um, Thanks for letting me get it out there. <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's talk about the criminal identity theft a little bit, because that, uh, that just, I can't imagine being, say, being stopped on a speeding ticket, for example, because I do have a little heavy heavy foot, and finding <laughs> out that I have a warrant out for my arrest because somebody's used my identity.
0: Yeah, uh, criminal identity theft is, is one very, very few people ever hear about until it happens to them. Um, I was on a a local radio show that I used to co-host and we had a caller call in here locally and he had had his house surrounded by federal marshals with a warrant for his arrest because the person (laughs) using his identity was really bad.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: um, With the criminal identity theft, people say, how can that happen? How does he get a driver's license? All you have to do is go online and do a Google search for novelty ID. It will blow your mind. Um, uh-huh. In one of my uh, certification training programs that we, we did here locally, um, one of the investigators, he contacted me the day after because I talk about these novelty IDs and criminal identity theft. And he, uh-huh. the next day he goes, you know, I just have to let you know. He said, when you were talking about that, he said, I thought you were just completely full of it. He said, I've never heard of such a <laughs> thing, and I thought there's no way in heck it can be that easy. And he goes, but I went home that night and Googled it. He goes, I, I was shocked, absolutely shocked. So if you do a Google search for a novelty ID, for $15, you can buy a driver's license, any state, any information. All you have to do is upload your photo. They'll have the holograms, the magnetic stripes, everything. There are even websites that critique which ones have the best hologram. Wow. Um, and then once they have that driver's license, when they get pulled over for uh, speeding, DUI, or when they are arrested, that's what comes out of the wallet. And when it gets swiped into the, the computer system, the magnetic strip on the back reads your information. The only difference is the photograph that's on the front. So unless they're comparing the photos, that information is going to be titled to your name.
2: That's amazing. That's amazing. Scary. And and, and you know what you're saying. I, so how do, how do you... How do you prevent something like that? How how would you even
0: know about it? You don't. Well, that's just it. Usually, you don't until you go for a job and they do a pre-employment background screening, um, and it pops up. Which we see a lot of those when we do background screenings, um, or if you you know an officer shows up at your house with a warrant for your arrest, or at your place of employment. Um, you know, most people, they it's not something that's that's on their radar. It's not something they look at. Most people never even look at their driving record because they figure, why? Well, no, I've never had a ticket, so I know my record's uh-huh. clean.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Well, not necessarily. I mean, if you get a notice from your, your auto insurance telling you your premium's going to go up, don't assume that it's just a normal rate increase. Find out why. It very well uh-huh. could be that somebody's racking up points under your license. Um, so you just, you know, ask for your, your driving record. to get a criminal records check. A lot of times with the local police departments, you can go in and do a background check on yourself, but that's only for the local jurisdiction. You know, you can work with any of the private investigator agencies out there that do background screenings. Mm -hmm. Um, Have them do a criminal background check on you and see what pops up. You know, that's really the only way to to find out because it will never show up on a credit report. Um, It won't show up with any of the monitoring services by these companies that are out there. Very rarely are those going to pop up.
2: Interesting. And you know, all Carrie, all of these are scary. But I think that the scariest, the most frightening of all of these processes, is the medical. I mean that that is just. Uh, <laughs> you gave an example in an article you wrote, uh, Carrie, about a woman who, uh, Mrs. Lind Weaver. Oh yes,
0: Miss Weaver. <laughs>
2: yeah, tell about her.
0: Yeah, and and I, you know the reason I give her name is because I want people to Google it because it sounds so ridiculous. People think I'm making it up. Yeah. Um she got a bill for having her foot amputated. Well, she has two feet, so obviously it was not her. So she called the hospital and said, You know, I'm Miss Weaver, I got this bill, I have two feet, it wasn't my operation. <laughs> they said, you know, was this your name, your social and so on and she said yes and they said, Too bad it's your bill. Now granted this was in two thousand and five, before some of the changes to um the the HIPAA and the high tech, which added more rights for identity theft victims, um, but, you know, she said, yeah, that's my information. The hospital said, too bad it's your bill. So then she calls our insurance company thinking they'll help. All they did was take back the money. They paid the hospital for the surgery. So the hospital turned around and bills her for the full $60,000. Um, now, Miss Weaver, she's pretty feisty. Um, she, she's uh, actually with the job she's doing now. Uh, she works for the Department of Corrections. So <laughs> she's, she's oh, a pretty great. tough woman. Um, She wasn't about to give up. She said, if I can find this person, then I can prove that it was not me and all this will go away. Well, it wasn't that hard finding the woman. I mean, obviously, she was missing a foot, so there's a telltale sign. But the other thing is, the woman was sitting in the county jail. She would had a rap sheet a mile long for fraud.
2: Oh, my goodness. And
0: even after she proved that this was the woman who had the surgery, the problem still didn't go away. To make matters worse, and this is the part that fortunately has changed... But back then, because she told the hospital, it's not me, because of the way HIPAA law was written, she was denied access to her own medical record. And why was that? Because she said, it's not me. So now the hospital didn't know which records were hers and which were not hers. And the way HIPAA was written, if they would have given her access to the records that were not hers, they would be in violation of HIPAA. Right.
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, so, so the law has changed. There's still a huge learning curve within the healthcare industry of how to even deal with medical identity theft. Um, but just like with any type of identity theft, the, the best defense we have is you need to learn what you're up against, learn the warning signs, and you also need to monitor. There is no service you can pay for that's going to monitor your information and know your information right. better than yeah. you. There's no excuse. You can't be lazy when it comes to this. Um, monitor your bank statements. Look at your explanation of benefits that you receive from your health insurance company. They're difficult to read. The biggest things you want to look at is the date of the appointment, the name of the provider, and the address of the provider. Yeah,
2: good. if
0: you know that you know you live in in Naples, Florida, and there was a doctor's appointment, you know, uh, last month in in uh, in New Jersey, and you never went to New Jersey, that's a red flag. Exactly. Um, you know, we just we need to pay better attention to everything that's around us. The the example that I always give people when I speak is you know, when the hair in the back of our neck stands up yeah. right. we all go, It's okay, it's okay, I'm overreacting, yeah. it'll be fine. Have you ever seen a gazelle out in the wild go, Hey, is that a lion? No, it's okay, I'm <laughs> gonna continue eating my grass. There's no <laughs> lion, it'll be okay. No. I mean, there's a reason a we all have this instinct, and it's to tell us when something's not right so that we can choose to fight or flight. We need to pay attention to that. If something's not right, don't dismiss it. Don't just think it's an error. You need yeah. to further investigate and check it out, because if you don't, it's going to end up costing you time and money and you know possibly even more in the long run.
2: Carrie, I've got to ask you this question. Did Mrs. Weaver have to go to the hospital and show them that she had two feet?
0: Did she have to go yeah, well, she did go down to the hospital because she wasn't getting anywhere with them yeah she she did go down to the hospital and caused such a scene that they did finally give her her medical records, now granted, they were on paper, so they put her in a room and she's you know separated out this is me, and this is not me, this is the thieves, you know information, and she gave yeah. the file back, well, Miss Weaver had a heart attack I'm and perhaps stress, if you want to take a wild guess. Uh Um, When she woke up from surgery, the nurse asked her what diabetes medication she was taking, and she's not a diabetic.
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: And that was back when we had paper records, not even electronic, back with paper records. The information still did not get cleaned up in her record. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, that's uh, such a great example of... um, why we really need to stay on top of it. And I don't think anybody, certainly I never thought about going and getting my medical records to see what's on them.
0: No, no, people don't. Now, there is a misconception where people think that if you order the MIB, which is the, I think it's the Medical Insurance Bureau or Medical Industry Bureau, I always forget what the I stands for, but people have been told to get the MIB report to monitor for medical identity theft. That is not true not everything gets uploaded to this MIB report. Now, okay. it will upload to it because it's used within the health insurance and, and um, medical insurance industry, like life insurance, health insurance, for underwriting. So mm-hmm. if you've been diagnosed with a high-risk you know, disease or whatever, um, it's going to be listed on that report. But if somebody's just going to the doctor for normal routine and getting services, that's not going to show up on the MIB. So you have to get your actual medical records. It's worth paying the money to request a copy of your records.
2: Okay. Oh, that's really good advice. So, Carrie, you, have, um, you actually have an investigation action plan that you go through when you have a client who has an identity theft issue that you go through step by step. Yes.
0: Do you want to, yes. uh, you want to cover first... those with us? Yeah, the, the first thing that I do when I meet with a client, because um, I, I do offer a you know, free 30-minute consultation because I want to know if, if I can help them and if there's even identity theft. I actually had one case that was referred to me by an attorney, and he'd been working on the case for nine months, and she uh-huh. was never a victim in the first place. She would received a spear phishing email. Um, so would that's why I do the consultation is? first, and I'll would sit down, go through, you know, with with the person what happened, you know, what they have done, you know, what if they filed a police report, so on. Would you what is? And then once we a, get all that me. information, um, me, I Carrie. give them options. Would, um, would the ex- first option is if they are hands on. Um, then I'll create a plan for them of the steps that they need to take, including copies like templates of letters and such that they're going to need to send out to begin the restoration process. Um, The other thing that I will do for people if they're just, I want somebody to make the problem go away. They don't want to have to do the work themselves. Um, I do the restoration work. And one thing that people don't realize is that a lot of homeowners or auto insurance policies have an identity theft insurance writer. And mm-hmm. those writers pay to reimburse for restoration services. So most of my clients, if they have to pay me out of pocket up front, they get reimbursed by their insurance company or sometimes the insurance company will pay me directly. Oh great. Okay. Yeah, and you can get an identity theft insurance policy for about twenty four or twenty five dollars a year.
2: That's that's good advice as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's definitely definitely well worth to, to have that peace of mind. Um because the big thing is, you know, when, when the problem arises and you need to get it fixed, are you going to spend the two to three hundred hours doing it yourself, or are you just going to have somebody else do it and get paid by your insurance?
2: Yeah, and, and you're right, it is two or three hundred hours. It's amazing. From my experience with my father in law, we put hours and months and months into that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really val- valuable. Uh, okay, so what else do you do?
0: What else do I do? Um, From the action plan, now, when people contact me, the first thing they want to do because of being an investigator is they want to track down who stole their identity so that they can, you know, get law enforcement and get them arrested, and they want to go through the whole shebang and get the justice they they deserve, okay? Mm -hmm. The beginning, I spend most of my time explaining to people that that's an afterthought. The first thing that needs to be done is to stop the bleeding, if you only focus on trying to identify the person, you're not putting the parameters in place to prevent them from doing any additional damage. Mm -hmm. So you've got to start the mitigation or the restoration process to prevent further damage. And along the lines of doing the restoration process, a lot of times additional evidence will surface. And that additional evidence will then lead us to identifying the person who is committing the identity theft so there's a process you have to go through you know you can't put the cart before the horse um the other thing too is with doing this type of work there have been numerous studies that have come out and said identity theft victims go through the same psychological emotions as victims of violent crimes Mm -hmm. and i have seen it. I have seen it from people. I had one gentleman um, over a period of six months, a quarter of a million dollars was, was siphoned out of his bank account. Um, and all of the these range of emotions that someone who is a victim of a violent crime, yep. you know, a, exactly a, a, right, a rape or, um, you know, any type of a violent attack, he mm-hmm. went through every single one of those emotions just like yep. they would. And you I would think, well, it's just money. why would you have the same effect? But if you feel so violated mm-hmm. that someone was able to penetrate your identity and your life so easily, um, you know, and then you become paranoid. So a big portion of what I do in addition to the the restoration and investigation, is to basically i I, I don't want to refer to myself as a counselor, but you do end up becoming that for your clients because mm-hmm. They need somebody there when, when things get done because then they beat themselves up. I can't believe I was so stupid. How did I fall for this? Right. Right. Um, you know, and you get all those negative thoughts going through your head. So that that is a big part of is trying to assist the clients with dealing with that. Um,
2: Carrie, we need to take another commercial break. Sure. Uh, don't go away. More to come with Carrie Kersky. We'll be right back.
1: 350-C-A-L-I.
2: With us is identity theft expert and private investigator Carrie Kursky. And uh, Carrie, offline, we were just talking about identity theft services, which we're not going to name any. But um, can you address that just a little bit more? Because you mentioned it, but let's get into that a little bit more because it is kind of a minefield.
0: Yeah. Um, every presentation I've done since two thousand seven, someone always asks me about these types of services and if they're worth the money. Um, majority of these services, let me give you an example. Okay, When you sign up for a monitoring service, it is the exact same thing as buying car insurance that only tells you you've been involved in a car
2: wreck.
0: Hmm. That's okay. it. There's okay. no restoration. Now, some of them might say, well, we have a call center that will help you through the restoration process. All it okay. is is you're calling somebody who's reading off a teleprompter who's telling you do this, do this, do this, do this. That's it. Okay. And you are still doing all the work yourself. Um, there was one woman, 86-year-old woman here locally. She came up to me after one of our forums, and she said, I'm paying for all these services. I think I'm protected, but can, can you review them for me? So I went to her house, and she was paying over $100 a month for four different companies. And Hmm. the only thing that these companies would do is tell her she's a victim of identity theft. Not a single one of them offered restoration assistance at all. So she was paying for a company to tell her she got in a car crash, basically. That's all it was. So I don't care which company you go with. There's tons of them out there. The only question you need to ask when buying one of these services is, what do you do for me when I become a victim? If they say they have someone who will assist you or help you or um, they will send you, you know, instructions, no. Because all they're going to send you is the Federal Trade Commission's um, restoration kit, and it's Mm -hmm. free. You can download it from their website yourself. So why are you paying somebody to send it to you? What you want is a company who, when you become a victim of identity theft, they will assign a case manager to your issue And that case manager will work with you until your identity has been completely restored. Now, obviously, issues involving medical identity theft or um, IRS tax return fraud... You know, the, you are going to have to be involved in those, and it may not be fully restored just because the nature of those, mm-hmm. um, but for the other, anything involving credit cards or loans or any of those types of identity theft, you want them to do all the work. They should contact the credit card companies. They should contact the banks. They are going to be doing all the work on your behalf. Otherwise, what you're paying for is a complete waste of money. Okay.
2: Now, uh, s- some of the tools that people are using, you mentioned uh, spear phishing. Can you uh, describe what spear phishing is?
0: Yeah, spear phishing is, um, well, regular phishing is when you get an email, it, it look like it's from a legitimate company, um, like it'll say it's coming from PayPal or Amazon or any, any mm-hmm. business that's very well known mm-hmm. with the intent to get you to click on a link. Now, those usually start off like, dear customer. Um, very generic, very broad. Spear phishing is very focused. So it would be receiving the same phishing email, but instead of dear customer, it would say dear and have your name. So It would say dear Carrie Kersky. Mm-hmm. It would also include if you get an email that looks like it's from a friend, family member, or even a coworker going to you. Okay. That's more spear phishing because it's coming from some, someone who is very familiar within your circle. So that's spear phishing. Um, those you have to be very, very careful of. I always tell people I don't care who is sending you the email. If it's unsolicited, meaning that you didn't ask them to send it to you or if they didn't tell you ahead of time they were sending it to you, mm-hmm. never click on a link or open any attachment in an email. Yeah. You need to verify first. Call your friend. Call your coworker. That's a big thing through corporations, how they do to get um, uh, insider secrets, corporate uh-huh. espionage. Uh-huh. Is They'll send an email making it look like it's from like a finance department, and it would say, um, here's the, the quarterly financials. Uh, please take a look at them, and it'll be from Bob in Accounting. So somebody would open the attachment, and now they've installed malware, which is malicious software, onto the network, which can do anything. Um, So you need to be very, very careful. All the major data breaches that happened in 2014, Target, J.P. Morgan, all of them, they all were the result of somebody clicking on a link in a phishing email.
2: Mm. Wow. So you've got the malware. You've got the uh, spear phishing. Skimmers are... Those are what they put on an ATM uh, machine? Is that a skimmer?
0: Yep, the skimmers, um, they're used on ATMs. Uh, Sometimes they're uh, carried around by, you know, wait staff and restaurants. So when you give them your card and they go in the back room to swipe it, they'll also swipe it through the handheld device. Um, But there are more more of them found at gas station pumps. Um, Okay. And the way they do them now is that it used to be they would put the apparatus on the outside of the pump. Well, mm-hmm. now they can go on the Internet and they can buy a skeleton key that actually opens up the front of the pump. So they oh. install it inside of it. So Amazing. the industry came out with stickers. And it used to be that if the sticker that went across the crease was red, that means somebody peeled the sticker off and put it back on. Well, now criminals can buy stickers online. Um, Really, there's no way to prevent somebody from getting your information with a skimmer, and and you it's very, very difficult to detect them with the naked eye. Uh, so that's why I tell people, I don't care where you're shopping. If it's you know your grocery store or um, you know target any major stores like that, if you're getting gas, it doesn't matter where you are. You want to use a credit card only. Not a credit debit card, not, not an account that comes card? out of your bank account. No, the money, you don't want the money coming out of your bank account. Okay. You want it to be strictly a credit account because if they get that, it's a five-minute phone call. You call the credit card company, they send you a new card, and you're just inconvenienced while you wait for the new card to show up in the mail. That's mm-hmm. it.
2: Mm-hmm. Good advice. And uh, Now, how does RFID work?
0: Yeah, the RFID and it's actually morphed now into called NFC. That's near field communication. Um, that's think of like the the Apple Pay, where you put the phone near the, the credit card terminal and it, it automatically right. does the charge. Um, it's the same thing as RFID, but it's a, like a generation up. And what it is is that the the phones or the credit cards have a transmitter and they're sending out a signal. It's always ready to send out a signal when it gets near a reader. It shoots the information out, and the reader accepts it and and um, and translate it, and that's how they get the information. With RFID or with the NFC, yeah. anybody can build. And unfortunately, there's a YouTube video that'll show you how to do it. You can turn a laptop into a um, RFID reader, and once you got that up and running, you just walk through a venue. Could be a concert, could be a mall, could be. Um, you know, anywhere where a large amounts of people are congregating, and then you walk out of the venue, now you have everyone's credit card information, and you never had to touch the wallet. Now they used to be you could buy these sleeves or wallets um, that would block that signal going out, mm-hmm. and I used to tell people to get them. Mm-hmm. however, more of these products are now coming out of China, and they're counterfeit, meaning they're completely worthless. It, might, it would be like taking your wallet and painting it with a silver Sharpie. That's pretty much <laughs> what you're buying. Um, and you can't tell the difference between the legitimate ones and the counterfeit ones. Yeah. But again, okay. don't worry about your credit card, because you have very, maybe $50 li- liability per the law, mm-hmm. but I've yet to see a credit card company charge anyone the $50. Mm. Wow.
2: Okay, we just have a little bit of time left, uh, Carrie. I want to go through. You have these um, three levels of uh, restoration services that people can re- do yourself repair kits? Yes. That people can buy. Would you go through those real quickly? Uh, because some people might be interested in doing that, and even private investigators who work on these cases would benefit from these.
0: Sure. Um, the different levels, like I said, the first ones a do-it-yourself repair kit, you know, because there are some people that are hands-on and, and they want to do the work themselves. Um, so I'll review their case and I'll create a step-by-step plan of what they need to do to restore their identity. Um, the next one is kind of a, a hybrid of that, um, where maybe they they want to do the step-by-step, but they also want to have some of the heavy lifting done. So it's, uh, I'll do part of it, and I'll have them do part of it. And then the, the third one, the final one, is where I do all the restoration work on their behalf. Now, granted, they are required to sign a limited power of attorney, but that's any restoration company. Because of the privacy laws, you're going to have to do that. Um, and then that authorizes me to contact the credit bureaus and credit card companies on your behalf to repair your identity.
2: Great. That's great, and and people can order those through your website.
0: Um, they don't order them through the website, uh, but what we can do is they can contact me. We'll set up a you know the free thirty minute consultation because I want to uh-huh. make sure I can help. If it's something where I can't help, then I'm not going to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do the, the consultation by phone, and then um, you know I'll present to them what the options are, and then they can choose which one they want. Um, you know we don't have to be in the same area. I can do this from anywhere. Um, We just, you know, can do everything via the the phone and the Internet.
2: And if a private investigator wanted to order this information, what would they do?
0: Um, If they want to to learn how to do this type of investigation, Mm -hmm. um, I'd recommend going to the the, uh, PI Education website and signing up for the Investigating Identity Without Continuing Education course.
2: Okay, and it's what.
0: Uh, PI, I think it's PIeducation.com. I had it up on my screen, and my computer just went to sleep. <laughs> okay.
2: okay, that's fine. Now, one of the things, I don't think we mentioned that anytime you have uh, an identity theft situation, you should definitely file a police report.
0: I'm sorry, say that again?
2: That anytime you have an identity theft situation, you should file a police report?
0: Yes, yeah, definitely. Now, if it's just somebody got a hold of your credit card and used, used it one time... I wouldn't bother with a police report for that because they are so inundated with these requests. Mm-hmm. But anytime your Social Security number has been used, whether it's a tax return or Social Security or something involving your bank, any time your social is involved, you must get a police report. Um, the law states that you are entitled to get a police report either in the county where you reside or the county where the crime took place. So, for example, if... Um, maybe it was involving a bank account out of, out of a county in Texas and, and you live in Florida, you could get the police report from, from the Florida county or from the Texas county. You're better off doing it from where you reside. Uh, I can tell you right now, law enforcement more than likely is not going to do any investigation into it um, mm-hmm. because of lack of jurisdiction but you need to have that police report. Otherwise, you cannot begin the restoration process. All of my clients, the first thing that they have to do before I can begin the work is they have to get that police report. Uh, So definitely you want to do that. You also want to notify the Federal Trade Commission because they keep statistics on identity theft reports nationwide. Um, And you might want to go to the Federal Trade Commission's website. They have, it's called an identity theft affidavit, and go ahead and complete that. You will need to have it notarized, but it's good to have on hand because more and more companies are requesting that in conjunction with the police report.
2: Well, and you know, Carrie, when we were working on my father-in-law's situation, um, the credit card companies were requiring the police report as well, the police report number. (laughs)
0: Yes, of course there, yeah, of course yeah, they do. Now, like multiple. I said, if somebody just got your, your credit card and they were able to stop the charges and the credit card company is going to send you a new one, then don't worry about it. Yeah. But if it's involving something larger or a large dollar amount, if the credit card company is telling you you have to send it, then, yeah, go ahead and get it.
2: Okay, Carrie, we are at the end of our hour. Thank you so much. It's great to chat with you on this very important topic, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank so, you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, and tune in again next week as we declassify more st- real stories from real investigators like Carrie Kursky. It's PI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening.
1: You've been listening to PI's Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler.